Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. This episode of the EG Property Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Savills and Shoesmiths and features a recording from the first of our back in real life EG Cities Live events. On the 26th of April, Team EG headed to the wonderful city of Birmingham to discover just how the UK's second city was going for gold as the countdown to the Commonwealth Games begins. The Games, which take place in the city from the 28th of July, have already been helping Birmingham meet its potential, not just as a leading UK city, but globally too. In this discussion, I'm joined from experts from across the city to understand more about how Birmingham is going to capitalise on the Games to ensure that it prospers, and that it prospers for all. Those experts are Henrietta Breeley, Chief Executive of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce, Michael Davies, Director in the Planning Teams at Savills in Birmingham, Paul Kitson, Strategy Director, Place, Prosperity and Sustainability for Birmingham City Council, and Tim Flight, a partner at Shoesmiths in Birmingham. Now, a slight word of warning before you dive into this 45-minute discussion. This was recorded live, and at times we had a few issues with microphones. Oh, those joys of being back in person. And you may well hear me rustling papers as I pretend I'm actually reading the news. You may need to lean in just a little bit more to the audio than you would in a studio recording. But I promise it will be worth it. Kicking off the discussion is Henrietta with a positive outlook on how Birmingham's leaders are showcasing the city to overseas investors. The key role of the business and tourism programme is to go out around the world into key Commonwealth markets and lure investors, go and talk to people about the region, get people excited about the region, using the games as a catalyst. And we're only in year one of this programme, so it's going to run for three years, it's going to be a key part of the legacy, continuing to build on those relationships, build those pipelines of investment. As I'm sure you all know, these things don't happen overnight, <laughs> but it's a brilliant in for building those relationships. And already I'm hearing from a growth company that actually the pipeline of investment for the region is looking a lot more positive than they thought it would be at this stage coming out of the pandemic. And a big part of that has been from some relationships built through the business and tourism programme. So we're looking forward to seeing the long-term legacy from that. You know, as a chamber, we represent local businesses, but I also look what we do is we live local and we go global. So we employ around 80 members of staff that help businesses with absolutely everything from growing their profile locally through to trading internationally. And something we did back in 2018 was found a Greater Birmingham Commonwealth Chamber of Commerce, which is all about facilitating bilateral trading relationships for local businesses. So you've got that big ticket investment up there, and then on that very local level, individual business to business relationships on import exports. That's what we've really been focusing on, and raising awareness of the opportunities for Commonwealth markets. Um, we've got a number of MOUs in place with partners in key markets, including Queensland Trade and Investment, which is a previous Games host area, <laughs> on supporting businesses that are looking either way to invest in our markets. That was also a key one, of course, with the uh, UK Australia trade deal that was just announced in December. Um, and even just so far this year, we've had um, the Canadian High Commissioner up to talk about Canada-UK trade off the back of wanting to engage the Commonwealth Games as well as get back out and about uh, post-COVID and we've got plenty more funding over the coming months to bring key stakeholders from those markets into the region to talk to local businesses and help build some of that interest in trading internationally which as we all know pretty challenging at the moment coming out of COVID and post-Brexit um, and you know in terms of other pieces um, there's so much going on when it comes to legacy that I think we'll probably touch on another question whether it's around skills and development 
uh, for young people, whether it is around the very far of the region. I think it's just a lot to be excited about. Thank you, Henrietta. Paul, you have a, a really important P word in your title, which is prosperity. Uh, and, and I'm really keen to hear from, from you sort of the importance of, of that word in, in terms of what the Commonwealth Games can bring to Birmingham as a, as a whole. Because we, we do see with regeneration, sometimes places get left, left behind. So how can we make sure the whole of Birmingham prospers? Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think Henrietta's um, just touched on the lens of economic um, uh, objectives of the Lindsay programme, but then we say that Lindsay doesn't happen by accident and you need to carefully plan it. There are sort of five or six big work streams associated with the legacy. Uh, skills is one of them, the engagement with schools, fitness, uh, and green agenda. But, but you're right, the prosperity thing. So the Commonwealth Games for me comes at a really interesting time for the city. It comes at a time when the city has already proved itself uh, in its ability and confidence to really develop and regenerate a town and city centres, city centre and town centres, which were. Uh, pretty poor, and so at this particular point, when lots of people start coming to the city across the games, they're going to see evidence of success. And already, a number of key firms we're all familiar with moving to city centre and relocating. So, that, that kind of change of perception uh, from global investors and investors in Europe and further afield have had some really interesting and successful trips abroad already uh, this year. UAE, one uh, February, US, and Canada coming up in a few more weeks. Uh, lots of follow ons from those trips. Uh, for, for thinking that people want to invest in the city. But your point, um, so I think you're getting there, is, is really important. And um, the city will not succeed as a place and will have failed as a, you know, as a council, we've all failed as uh, committed people in the city if we don't ensure a more equitable distribution of, of, that, of that wealth, really. And uh, we're determined to see uh, those, you might call them left behind places, but those areas of the city where we've still got um, some of the poorest parts. Uh, of Europe, we've still got um, some health inequalities, which is some of the worst in Europe, and some, some critical areas, uh, inequal access to employment opportunities, and so on. Those things need to be sorted out. And um, they only come about if you plan strategically and think strategically and think in big area ways. So big problems require big thinking, don't they? Big partnerships. And if I think about the uh, work that we're trying to kick off around East Birmingham, the area that we call East Birmingham, which is everything from Curzon Street all the way to ACL and across, I guess, and everything in between. So, some fantastic real estate commercial opportunities with some really profound um, social problems. And the work we're doing here, bringing uh, all active partners around the table and uh, developing uh, interrelated improvement plans, some of which are property related, many of which are service delivery related, is aimed at ensuring that there is a more, there's a smoother effect, a smoother benefit of some of that wealth that's coming into the city. And uh, we're increasingly be calling on partners to help us with that work. I think it's really important for us as a place to get that right. Michael, you were nodding along there, I saw, at a certain, certain points. What's, from your perspective, how, how important is it that, um, I know the answer to this, of course, but how important uh, is it that we make sure that, you know, all parts of the city that are accessible to that, to the, the, um, the insight, the information, the attractiveness that the Games is going to bring? Well, quite clearly, um, the city's gone somewhere in the last few years to make those uh, changes happen uh, even before the games but uh, for me um, somebody who's worked in the city for nearly 20 years now um, the city's in a great position to attract people uh, here for a games but also beyond that um, what do I mean by that well you know, look at the arrival points um, it's not that long ago when you arrived at Snow Hill station you were 
probably worried about you know your safety. <laughs> um, it's a fantastic um, change that's been made outside uh, and through Snow Hill Station. Then you look at Grand Central, also a you know state-of-the-art uh, station and shopping facility uh, wrapped around it. So that those changes are already in place. And I think what the city uh, is continuing to do now with things like the tram, investing in Perry Bar, what's happening outside of the city at Coventry, for example. Coventry was another major regional station that was not the most attractive um, arrival point, but there's, there's plenty of jigsaw pieces that have been put in place. And I think in the past, maybe four or five years ago, they were dotted about. And now when you sort of take yourself um, right the way across the city, uh, that string of pearls, as some people might refer to the, the investments that have gone before, are all starting to you know, link up. Um, so it's not gonna be very long before somebody who lives in um, you know, the outside edge of the city can jump on a tram and make their way through to one of the key transport hubs and then back out the other side and then they can be connected to other places. And for me, that connectivity, that arrival uh, piece when you come to Birmingham is dramatically different to what it was only about five, seven years ago. And I think certainly within our sector, um, trying to persuade people to step out of um, London, the southeast, or indeed international um, in investment houses to come to Birmingham and invest, um, whether it's yen, pound, dollar, whatever, um, it has been difficult um, trying to persuade people to come to Birmingham and invest. But I think what these the games will do is, is put us on that um, you know world stage, and, and people will be able to see either from a TV or from arriving here how attractive and how successful Birmingham is. Do you, yeah, we were talking over drinks before we came in here and, and I wonder if, I guess my question is, will it though? Because we were talking about how Birmingham has all this great stuff already. Not many people really know about it. They have this perception of, of Birmingham as, we, as we've talked about and the wonderful Brummies, are re- you know, they don't show off. Just kind of keep it as a secret to yourself. So, what is the games going to help Birmingham show, show off, Henrietta? I think it's really changed. You know, I, I actually think Birmingham's a more and more passionate, proud of Birmingham than we ever have been. Um, has anyone been in Birmingham for over a decade in the audience? Does anyone remember a social media movement, if you like, called Bins? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> am I allowed to swear? It was Birmingham, it's not shit. Um, <laughs> that was the big thing that was sort of, you know, putting out tongue-in-cheek messaging about it's not as bad as you think it is everyone um, and now you look at the sort of social media movements around Birmingham and it's like I choose Birmingham, it's independent Birmingham there's all sorts of festivals for you like Birmingham Wine Week, Birmingham Cocktail Weekend Birmingham Restaurant Week um, if anyone knows Alex Nicholson she can thank me for all those books <laughs> but also uh, things like Brum Brew Fest I don't know if anyone did that on the weekend um, so all of these different things are springing up to showcase and shout about how flipping brilliant Birmingham is um, and the way you change your perception is it just takes time and it just takes people like us going out and about when we're talking to head offices and we're talking to clients, talking to customers, talking to friends and family and instead of going like, yeah, it's all right, and yeah, it's brilliant, you've got to come and see this, you've got to look at that, just come and look in Centenary Square and if you don't leave that feeling, wow, this is an impressive city and something's gone wrong because it was phenomenal. So I think that just that sort of ability to showcase Birmingham to the world and invite people in and have that opportunity to say how brilliant it is will make a positive difference but so I think the confidence of the city has really changed and evolved 
just in the sort of last 12, 13 years that I've been in the city. And I'm sure there are many in the room who probably agree and have probably sensed that similar sense of sort of coming into its own and really feeling like a powerful city than it is. I think it's 1.2 million people here. It's such, it's got the size of the economy of the West Midlands, big in Scotland, <laughs> but Birmingham is just such a phenomenal place. And I think we're now finally starting to feel it and see it. Don't you I, I think, yeah, the pride in the city has, has really taken off with, you know, some fantastic, you know, design of, of, of public realm spaces and, you know, places for people to, to go and enjoy and to congregate. You know, Paradise, absolute prime example, you know, is, you know, something you walk through that, that square um, and, and you do feel proud, you know, you see the, the tradition and, the, and the, the, the historic architecture mixed with the, with the modern and, and cutting edge and I, I think that sort of sums up Birmingham pretty well. Michael? Proud? Well, I'm, I'm an adopted uh, Brummie, I'm not uh, <laughs> from Birmingham originally. Um, well, I, as I was just touching on, you know, the changes that have been happening haven't just been for the Games. The timing of the games and Birmingham's confidence to actually step forward and say we'll take that on. Um, I don't think would have, the confidence there from the city wouldn't have been there if these investments and these changes hadn't have already been in place. Plus all of the other proposals that um, are, are in, in plan. Um, and I don't think this is just a one-off two weeks. Let's hope you make a change. It's not about that. It's about all of the other activities that go on around it and, and just putting Birmingham on a it's always been on the map. Some people confuse it with the Alabama uh, version. <laughs> but um, I think for once, I think this is an opportunity for Birmingham on an international and world stage to say that we're here, that we've got a bit of attitude and we're, we're proud of what, what we've achieved. And I think what's been suggested is that, you know, it, this is not just about athletes turning up. This is about a community, a city, a wider region getting together. And I know certainly in our sector that's trying to do deals with the other regional authorities is not always easy because there's always been competition and a, a little bit of um, introverted views about who's having what but this is quite nice even though it's you know Birmingham headlining it and, and the, the lead uh, host it's actually a regional games and lots of locations are taking pride in doing their bit um, so yeah I think it's going to be a uh, uh, certainly where we've been the last couple of years it's a, it's a bit of a uh, an opportunity that actually if the pandemic hadn't been there um, it may have just been seen as another games but this is a release for communities and people generally to actually get out there have a party celebrate do stuff that you know for the last two years they haven't really been able to do so there's a, there's a kind of double whammy here that mm -hmm. they, the city are ready and are confident but actually in terms of where we've been and where we're looking to go I think it's Perfect time. Hmm. Paul, do you agree? Perfect timing? Yeah, of course I agree. I mean, the city's fortunes and constant fortunes and reputations come and go, don't they? And it's easy to point to other cities and think uh, that, that they've always held that kind of reputation. But, but Birmingham's moments now, and we can see that the confidence we're talking about equally here on stage, uh, you can see that everything is going in the right direction. Uh, we can talk about high speed too, of course, and the investment that's attracting. But really, I'll focus on more on things like the, the city or developing which kind of redefines that part of the city centre, new leisure opportunities coming into the city. And, um, and you know, deeper for me is the, big, is the big one, actually. It's, that's the bit that really starts to redefine what the city centre looks like, where the city was born, and the streets of Deepworth, and the, the potential to regenerate that area that we can see now. So I think we'll, we'll have a great games, but we'll come through that um, 
from my point of view, and, you know, we'll be then launching the, the next future city plan. We'll be saying this is what the future city plan now looks like. We've done a great job, but now's the next phase, and, and that'll be deep with another things coming through. So there'll be an awful lot for people to be excited about and to be prouder about as those months immediately post games go. And, and I, for one, can just see that level of investment interest and developer interest um, just increasing actually post games as we get further to um, ages to landing and seven years on. And how do, how do we make sure that we hang on on to that? Because, you know, there is a real risk that there is, a, you know, big games, everyone gets really excited about it. Um, you know, there's lots of investment initially. Birmingham's already doing really well. And then, then something else happens. There's, there's another big event somewhere else. There's, maybe there's another pandemic. Don't want to say it, but maybe, maybe there is. How do we make sure that people know that, you know, um, Birmingham's not just for the Commonwealth Games, it's for, for life. We're going to have a hangover, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so there will be that moment in the but, but actually, we're the pause to deliver the games. So everything that's going on, I think we're doing collectively to drive all of this growth and, and, and freshness around the city, is going to then pause for a few weeks while we'll get distracted, and then we'll crack on again, um, actually. So I don't see there being a, a prolonged hangover. <laughs> I just go to talk, there's an awful lot to get on with. And picking up on that from um, talking to you, uh, one of the nice things about Chambers of Commerce is we're different all over the country and all over the world, but we are everywhere. So <laughs> I have spent the last couple of years talking quite a lot to my equivalents in Glasgow and Gold Coast. Um, and Glasgow was so positive about the legacy impact of the Games for attracting further sporting events um, and continuing to keep up that momentum of visitor economy, of bringing in further big events and sort of major productions to keep putting the city on the map. So there's that side of things. Interestingly for Birmingham, as well as obviously the physical sporting event, the traditional sport, esports is increasingly a global phenomenon, a hugely valuable industry um, that has sort of taken the world by storm and continues to grow at exponential rates. And during the games itself, there's also a Commonwealth esports uh, games competition taking place at the ICC over a couple of days at the start of August. And using that as well to tap into the fact that already in the region, we've got ECU delivering um, Management esports e- management BAs, they've been doing it quite some time. Wolverhampton University, also good specialists in the esports qualifications. University College Birmingham, also been developing up a, uh, a key function in esports training and qualifications across a range of different disciplines. So we've got the people and the skills, we've started attracting the events. There is then the opportunity to make that this region a real hub for esports in the UK because we've got the facilities. You look at the NEC and ICC, and we compete on a global scale when it comes to those sorts of uh, facilities. And it's just another capitalist opportunity. I'd also flag up that obviously there's Commonwealth Games, but HST, we keep forgetting it's been in development for some time, it's going to be for much longer. Um, but, but that is a just huge competitive edge for the city. It is without doubt, you know, the biggest infrastructure investment in a generation. There are going to be two stations in the region, Curzon Streets, and all of the opportunity for regeneration around the Curzon Master Plan, and then also Interchange, which um, Paul won't thank me for mentioning since outside Birmingham. Uh, but the uh, interchange site in Solihull, like at the moment, it's a muddy field, by a motorway, near the NC, near the airport. But actually, throw in staffs, the HS2 station, and it suddenly becomes one of the best connected places in the country. And the opportunity for investment there that the Urban Growth Company are leading is absolutely phenomenal. So there is, it's not just the games and then we're done. There is already this pipeline of exciting future investments ongoing investments and opportunities to explore. The other thing I'd add is um, a lot of the games that have taken place and have been criticised for their lack of legacy because they've built stadiums and facilities and then they've just been left redundant, is how many facilities we're using across the region that already exist. 
you know, in terms of the uh, NEC and the Coventry uh, Arena, um, the Birmingham Arena, they're all top-class facilities that are already there. So that just shows the strength and depth of the facilities that we have in the region. And yes, there's obviously some new investments um, in yeah. other facilities. So. And, but the, and the new investment, I mean, the, the, the um, Alexandra Stadium, the, the Aquatic Centre, have, have, have been designed for the community and adapted for the games. And I think that sends a powerful message to the communities that these are assets for you, for you know, for the local area to to use and benefit from. And yes, they'll be loaned to the games, but long term, there's a legacy there. It sounds like the the legacy is really infrastructure, not just um, you know the existing infrastructure you have in the stadiums you can reuse and regenerate, and of course the the, the rail infrastructure and and all all of, all of that. I want to turn um, briefly to um, sustainability. When I was um, doing my prep for, for this, I was reading through um, quite a lot of stuff, and there was one. Um, it was a. It was meant as a criticism of the legacy for um, or expected legacy for the Commonwealth Games. I was a bit confused by it, so I'd, I'd love to um, get a bit more insight from from you. So there was a a report that um, criticised the potential legacy saying that the environment, the benefits from the Commonwealth Games are going to be more environmental than financial. In my head, that didn't sound bad, but they meant it in a, in a negative, negative way. How do, you, how do you feel about that, and can you separate those two things anyway? No, Paul? No, you definitely can't separate those two things. So um, one of the, I mean, the city is, as a whole is showing some great leadership, I think, around sustainability. Um, the declaration of a climate emergency, the ambition to be in zero by 2030, the clean air zone. Uh, not all of these things are immediately popular, it must be said, uh, but they're based on the reality of, of, of changing global position. They're changed on an understanding that to give people good quality of life, we need to change some of the ways that we behave, some of the way we move, and so on. I think there's been really, really strong working between uh, all of us in this room and then some of the politicians, if we can say, really to take some of those bold decisions around things like clean air zone. And, and actually one of the interesting kind of combinations of environmental and infrastructure things that's happened during the game, just the preparation for everybody to get to Perry Bar from the city. And uh, one of the things um, we did was to take down the flyover. And that sounds quite simple, doesn't it? Uh, people were very attached to the flyover. Uh, extraordinarily attached to it. And of course the purpose of that was to get everybody down to the same level so you can start to explore how you get people around uh, you know, by cycling and walking and so on. And that's been a great success. It's given us great confidence actually to think about our future city plan and how we need to do that other parts of the city. I actually think that's a question. I think this, the leadership around sustainability that we all show in Net Zero has got financial benefit and drives social outcomes. And there are, I think, other core cities are looking at thinking actually we need to do a bit of that as well. And so anything I think people need to build on that more. So I'm, I'm the same view. I'd be confused as to why that would be a bad thing because I think uh, long-term sustainability, including financial sustainability, flows from the involvement in the city. Yeah. Tim, any any views? Yeah, I, uh, I think the the city can really be a, a, a national leader in it, and other leader to uh, other cities can look towards us. I think I think we underutilize a lot of the assets of, of the city that, that we could do. I think you know the canal network is. Is a, is a huge benefit to, to this city, and you know if we if we make it into a space where people feel secure and 
and safe to use it as a, as a method of transport, then you know that could be a real sort of game changer for the city for moving people around quickly and sustainably. And if the legacy is regeneration like this is helping save the planet, that's not a bad legacy to have, is it? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm silly. Who knows? Um, we are um, quickly running through time, and I want to throw some questions out to, to the audience. Many of you have, have given some, so I'm going to do some quick fire with you all. But we do have a couple um, in the audience that I'm going to call on if you're not too um, shy. So, Mike Kelly, do you remember your question? Would you like me to help you with it? I'd like you to help me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so you were asking about um, uh, whether Birmingham will be able to retain its identity or if it was in danger of becoming a, po- uh, a Zone 5 post Yeah, I guess it was probably more around the HS2 piece as opposed to the Commonwealth Games. But I guess for me, um, the opportunity for it to be a Zone 5 is, is, is more opportunity than a weakness. Um, to, to Henrietta's point around the developments of HS2, um, you know, with property prices, the, uh, the development of Deep Earth and so on. But I guess for me, can we retain our identity in a in what is basically a small island that we live in and getting smaller because of communication? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, could, is there a risk of that becoming free? I think what what we've seen so far has only been positive in terms of attracting employers and jobs into the city, um, but also in terms of growth of local businesses. So I think that's that's the bit that you know, as you'll know, I'm personally very passionate about, um, uh, and we are continuing to see that local identity come through in both some of the established businesses. We've got some wonderful businesses across sort of Aston and Judery Quarter that have been in the city quite literally hundreds of years and in some cases in the same family since um, sort of the 1800s which is just phenomenal um, uh, and we are still seeing success stories coming from those really established essential sort of parts of the Birmingham community um, as well as some of the Goldman Sachs coming in you know just VCs etc so it's, it's getting the balance between the two um, and I think in terms of the physical realm of the city and how you manage that Cities just constantly change, they evolve, uh, regeneration happens. But then the question is, if we can see these things changing, if we can see that perhaps manufacturing in the jewellery quarter is becoming more challenging, we can see that the creative sector in Digbeth is being priced out, where do we go? Where do they go from there? And that's where that sort of collaboration with city stakeholders like the local authority, when it comes to that sort of vision for the city, is so important. So we can spot where those changes to the business community are happening where there is real need that we need to look at how we can collectively try and encourage certain areas to support those sorts of industries come from. So I know in particular when we talk to our manufacturers, actually there is a real shortage of good quality industrial space, particularly at smaller scales. You know, if you're not building a great big massive warehouse for a big sort of um, e-commerce business at the moment, it is pretty hard to find those smaller scale higher quality industrial sites. So those sorts of questions are ones that we do speak to local authority about quite frequently and I think will only become more pressing, as you say, as the city continues to evolve and change and attract that investment because we are that better proximity to London. Um, so we haven't mentioned two words yet, not as um, not blatantly anyway, we haven't mentioned levelling up. Uh, and there's a question um, on Slido asking... Um, how does the levelling up programme for Birmingham compare to Manchester and Glasgow have also hosted Commonwealth Games? Um, what lessons have, 
they, Birmingham, learnt to ensure maximum and long-lasting benefits from Birmingham's exposure to the international focus. Recently, the government have announced through the levelling up agenda of uh, major new um, departmental uh, relocations up here. So I think at the moment we're at the forefront of that agenda. So as part of this um, confidence, I mean, some of it's market-led, some of it's government-led, uh, city uh, have obviously got a plan of what they want to do and that shows confidence. Putting it all together, you've got this public-private combination. Um, just picking up on some of those other points um, in respect of how does um, the, um, the, the UK central uh, investment change Birmingham and, and I think there's a question about the identity as well. I mean, it, it, I, I thought the whole success of Birmingham was its, its cosmopolitan um, offer and therefore the Birmingham doesn't have one single identity as such. Um, it's always been at the forefront of um, innovation mm. and I think we're seeing different types of innovation and therefore putting that alongside government departments, North Shoring, all of those opportunities for space. Um, I think it was on the video, there was a suggestion that the office was dead and nobody would ever come back, how wrong those people were. Um, so I think now with it, you put, put all of the, um, the, the opportunities together, the investment in the city and then um, the, the whole uh, emphasis of, of levelling up becomes for Birmingham um, with a full home and Wolverhampton because I think Wolverhampton's taking one of the um, uh, the major office uh, relocation. So put all of that together and, and like any successful uh, plan, the public-private partnership is absolutely key. So yeah, I think Birmingham's in a fantastic position, uh, as we said before. Yeah, I was going to mention on the, the Leveling Up agenda, and I think this council produced a Leveling Up perspectives to try and get ahead of that and put together what they see as a key vision for the city, which I know lots of stakeholders have been involved in, because I personally have, along with many from sort of different sectors and segments of society. Um, so that's been positive seeing that really proactive approach to it. I think there's also um, sort of leap back to sort of golden decade and games piece as well. Is everyone here aware of Gen 22? Any nods? Hand up if you are. Oh, excellent. I've got more information for you. <laughs> so um, Gen 22 is part of one of the legacy projects from the Games. So we know a key part of levelling up is or how do you tackle things that are systemic in the city? Like youth unemployment is always significantly higher in Birmingham than it is compared to the rest of the country and even compared to some of the core cities. Um, all of those sort of core issues, some of which are only going to become more pronounced as we come out of the pandemic and from talking to educators, we have now got a cohort of young people and you think the pandemic felt like a long time for us. Imagine if you went into it at 13 and came out at 15 and how much socialisation, how much being in a structured environment you'd have lost in those years. So that importance of engaging and supporting young people and using the games as a catalyst for that has never been more important. And Gen 22 is exactly that. It's how young people who probably aren't going to get tickets to the games, probably aren't going to get jobs at the games, well how do they benefit? How can they get something from this? Um, and they're working with a range of different charities to get into local communities, organisations like Sport for Life that are using something a bit different to engage in people and help develop their skills. Um, and they are currently looking for employers to support on things like suggesting social action projects, um, things like mentoring, CV writing, and generally getting involved in supporting that generation of young people that they're hoping to tap into and support through the games, because that, that piece of bringing the population with it is such a key part of the agenda, just as much as the infrastructure and built environment. Um, I'm going to turn to the office market. There's a great question about um, whether the Birmingham office market is, 
is ready for the exodus of London companies that are going to come here post um, when HS2 is running. We've obviously already seen Goldman Sachs have committed um, to the city. Obviously, Shoesmiths are taking a lovely new office uh, as well, already here, um, but uh, but being here in a bigger bigger way. Is the market ready? Is there enough? Is there enough of the right stock available, Michael? Uh, well, yes. Um, the last few years have seen a, a huge change um, to the grade A office uh, space, and I think 103 is at the, the top of that agenda, but I understand that we're also looking at it's not just building new facilities, it's actually refurbishing and going back to where we were not that long ago, and I, I still think of Brindley Place as a, as a, as a new uh, <laughs> office area, because that was heralded as a flagship um, office location we're involved in. Uh, the refurbishment of around 200,000 square foot of uh, space at number 10, uh, Brindley Place, and that is all about balancing up the, you know, the whole carbon footprint. Do we demolish? Do we refurbish? What is it that occupiers are looking for? Well, effectively, that whole ESG agenda is, is all about making the, the right investments in the right place and getting the product right, because then that's when you're going to attract more people into the city. And um, I'd certainly say from visits to various office buildings, old and new around the city, that the, the old corporate rows of desks is definitely changing. Um, this, you know, in, in our building on 55 Goldmore Road, the WeWork um, concept, mm. I think has helped, um, you know, because people see that when they're in certainly our building, but the WeWork concept is there for, for all to see, and that enables um, those startups or smaller firms to rub shoulders with the corporates and be in the same postcode. So, um, yeah, Birmingham has, has transformed dramatically, and you, you'd possibly expect it prior to the or during the pandemic for some of those um, office schemes to stall or, or not come forward, or confidence in investors uh, to, to, to disappear, or indeed occupiers to pull out of moving into these you know, potentially expensive locations. Um, that's not what we're seeing, um, and the confidence continues to be there. So, um, I mean, it's all about timing, um, and I think this this whole event today, you know, when you talk about what's happening. Well, there's been the, the Commonwealth Games isn't isn't just the thing that's happening to Birmingham. It's happening at a time when Birmingham's in a in a successful run. Um, you throw on HS2 in a few more years, and that continuum of investment and success, uh, I think, is is there for the foreseeable and. Um, Long may it continue. Tim? Yeah, I, I think one in three sort of just underlines the the confidence of the city and the the ambition of the city really to you know put itself forward and, and allude to the timing. You know, having that you know pre-statement building in the city centre with the cameras and the people and the footfall through the city centre. I think it'll send a, a strong message to the world that, uh, how ambitious we are. So it's, it's great timing. Let's let's stay positive um, uh, because we we are rapidly running out of time. It's weird, isn't it, being back in real life where you, where it, time moves really really quickly. But I want to I want to build on on, on what you just talked about, Michael. Of um, you know, not just being the games, it then being HS two, and then there'll be something else that comes next. Where do you see the future of Birmingham being? If we've got this great legacy that that you're you're gonna hang on to, you've got HS two coming down the line something else. Where do you see Birmingham being? Maybe it's 20, 20 years in the future. Tim, I'll start with you. Um, I, I think it's, and, and the, 
the Common, Commonwealth Games will accelerate this, but it's bringing in the the region of the city and, and not just focusing the mark the master plan centres. It's bringing connectivity to Perry Bar, to Smethwick, and, and and you create these sort of hubs of excellence around the city um, with the Alexander Stadium, with with the um, you know the, the pool and the, the dining facility, and and that in itself will will sort of have a gravitational pull. They'll you know that's the students that will then use. I think Wolverhampton uh, University have, have teamed up with the Aquatic Centre and um, Birmingham City University have, have teamed up to have a sports science and, and sporting facility at the, at the stadium. So, and with that, you think well, you know, student developments, cafes, restaurants, bars, and all of a sudden, the the regeneration is not just the city; it's it's you know all parts of the city. And I, you know, I think that that will you know work. Again, we were talking about the um, the metro down down uh, Hackney Road, and you know a real opportunity there to, to redevelop that that strip of Birmingham, which which is probably lagging behind the, the city really, and it is again an opportunity to 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 develop and, and redevelop that area. Hubs of excellence, I like that a lot, Michael. Well, it's going to become a, a bigger city. Um, I think that's absolutely key, and. and just in the 20 years I've been here, it's gone from being a, a concrete collared city where everything that took place in that concrete collar was either you know, corporate or um, retail to a city centre now that is more diverse. And I think that concrete collar disappearing, the public transport linkages, Metro in particular, taking the outer edges uh, and bringing them closer. I know physically they haven't got closer, but the, the public transport makes that accessibility greater. Things we were talking about at the start in terms of people arriving, well, it's also the people who live here being able to get in and, and um, access those opportunities a lot more readily. Um, when, whenever I go around the city uh, now, you, you don't just see people in suits. There are people who are entrepreneurial and, and um, uh, individuals who are uh, operating within their own a successful sphere, so it's no longer just a corporate city uh, or a retail city. There's, I think, there's there's a space for everybody here, and that point I made before about cosmopolitan um, cities is genuinely true. But there are not many cities that can, um, in, in, I think, in the UK that can talk that way uh, in terms of being truly cosmopolitan. Um, so you put all of that together. Um, I know we talk about lots of new office uh, facilities coming in, but actually that churn allows the secondary and tertiary office space to become readily available. Um, the changes in regime in recent years with um, uh, things like office to resi conversion has enabled some of that latent stock to be taken out. Um, so there's a whole change and I think that the change for me is that more people um, of an evening uh, are in the city. So that demand for bars, restaurants, cafes um, increases and continues people feel safer in the city of an evening because there's more people around. And, and that has changed, I think, in the last 20 years um, immeasurably. It will change again. You add another few hundred thousand people into the city over the next 10, 20 years. Um, the housing numbers have, have, have gone up and, and the city have to find those spaces. That's going to be a challenge um, because the spaces aren't there and we can't put everybody in a tower block. Um, so that is a big challenge to the city. But I think what has been demonstrated through the um, the work's going on around Perry Bar, CPO can be done. 
um, CPO can work for the public good. And perhaps as we move forward in the next 15, 20 years, CPO is going to become an increasingly used tool, which has possibly not been used in recent terms because you know, it hasn't always been needed. But I think land assembly for me is going to be a key driver to, towards the next level of growth and success in the city. We've certainly heard from Homes England, haven't we, that they're going to um, be using CPO powers a, a lot more than they have in the past. Um, I'm always going to love an answer with the D word in. Um, diversity and space for everyone is, is a great ambition to have for, for a city. Thank you, Michael. Paul. Yeah, so, um, I agree with everything that you guys have already said. I mean, there's no doubt the focus of much of the sort of major construction, uh, uh, finalising the HST infrastructure, the, the repurposing and redevelopment of millennial uh, points and deeper it's going to mean that if at a quick glance most of the activity and commercial and, and on the ground is going to be in that part of the city there's no doubt about it in the next 10, 15 years but the city is growing so the population is scheduled to grow considerably um, in a very diverse place and I also was going to just mention housing because we all the way through and uh, not really mentioned housing very much at all and so as well as seeing that focus of energy down in that part of the city, uh, I also want to see that hub and spoke point. We've spoken a lot about um, the city centre needs to flourish, but so do local centres. Uh, things like, I spoke about Perry Bar, taking down transport infrastructure, so people can move about their bikes and run walk and stuff. So you've got a really efficient hub and spoke point. But one of the things in the call store arms that we'll be, I guess, leading through this next six, 12 month period will be how do we accelerate? Um, the diversity of our housing, new housing supply across the city to make sure we're providing the right housing, safety to our housing for, for everybody who wants it. Because it's an area uh, where the city can definitely put a, put a, put a stronger foot forward. Uh, we've got lots of people that are interested in the RP sector, we've got lots of private developers interested uh, in the city council, but a lot of land assets, including Alden Cross. Uh, so we're very interested in Alden Cross. Uh, so that might help us learning up a little bit. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're really interested in that. And so I, what I hope to see also is kind of flourishing industry distributed right across the city around Transport Mode and other places uh, where we're seeing new housing supply for people that are taken advantage of. And uh, there's a really high point Fantastic. Flourishing industry. Already a city of a thousand trades. Um, can be more. Uh, Henrietta. I mean, you know, 20 years' time, I certainly hope we've moved on from the, do people know how good Birmingham is? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you've probably gathered, I think we've built something really special here in Birmingham, and its trajectory is only going to continue, and I hope we get to a point where people go, yeah, it's a great place, of course it is. Um, but, you know, I think the city will surprise us, um, I think there will be constantly new industries, and new folks within the city emerging and shifting. Um, when we do start to see, particularly in the city centre, more of that sort of live-work-play feel, and much more sort of residential mixed in with what would traditionally very sort of retail units, etc. And that sort of concept of the 15 minute city spreading around the city and into neighbourhoods as well. That will be a really interesting one to see if that concept that's really taken hold during the pandemic does continue over the coming years. I think, you know, um, as much as I'm lovingly positive about the future of Birmingham, um, there are some real challenges ahead. And, you know, we know even with the construction industry, the costs are going up and up and up. Um, and there are some real challenges in making sure that we maintain this momentum. So I think that critical piece over the next 20 years is that continuing partnership, public, private, third sector communities to make sure that whatever comes, and, you know, we all know the headwinds, we see them in the press every day, um, particularly in the immediate term, 
whatever just come, that we're in the best possible place to respond and adapt to it and keep ensuring that Birmingham is leading the way for the country when it comes to that regeneration growth and positive trajectory. Fantastic. So last time we were here, we wrote about um, how Birmingham moved from being a brutalist um, concrete city to being a beautiful city. And I'm going to add other B words to, to that now, which is it's a brilliant city, isn't it? It's a, it's a bigger city. It's getting bigger and bigger. And I think it's a really bold city. And I hope that um, after the 28th of July, leading up to the 28th of July, it's going to be a boastful city as well, because there's a lot to, lot to show off. I'm going to get told off because I've gone over by at least 10 minutes. Um, but do put your hands together and join me in thanking our wonderful panel, Henrietta, Paul, Michael and Tim.